Is that better? Oh, there we go. Okay, sweet. What up, Desert Hills? <laughs> Let's start all over. Can you guys hear me in the back now? Okay, I knew I was off. Um, but my mom owns a horse ranch in Santan Valley. And, uh, and so she named me Cody Merle, which, you know, Adam loves to make fun of my middle name, which, I don't know, do you guys know Adam's middle name? <laughs> do you guys know what it is? It's Guadalupe, which is really cool. Um, mine's horrible, it's Merle. And uh, so my mom wanted me to be a cowboy um, from Arizona. She loves horses, so I think my theme song is, I should have been a cowboy. I should have learned to rope and ride. Do you guys know that song? Do you guys want me to keep going? Is this, I like that one. Um, I've been married to my wife for 17 years, and her name's Shonda. She's right here on the front row. If you want to wave or look, I should have you stand up, shouldn't I? No, okay. Uh, we have four kids. Um, Katie, she's 14. Bella's 12. Pippa's six. Pippazilla is what we call her. She's crazy. And then our, we have a one-year-old son. We had a COVID baby in 2020. I'm 42 years old, so I'm going to be 58 when he graduates high school which people confuse me as being his dad or grandpa. I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting when they get older, but we find it such a privilege and a blessing to, to be able to be married. I married my best friend, you know? And I like to tell people the best part of being married is I get to say goodnight instead of goodbye. And it's like this uh, lifelong sleepover with your best friend. It's really incredible. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just saw my best friend from high school yesterday up in um, Dewey, and we slept at each other's house all the time. And we had, we had a lot of fun. But I get to be married. I get to, I get to live and have any, a lifetime sleepover with my best friend, which is, which is incredible. And to raise these kids for the honor and glory of God is, is such a privilege and an honor. And you guys have an incredible pastor. I hope you, I hope you guys know you have a wonderful pastor and pastor's wife who genuinely loves the Lord. I've known him for 20, I don't know, like almost 20 years who loves the Lord, and he cares about his church. He cares about you deeply, cares about your soul all the time, and loves you. You wouldn't believe how many pastors bash their churches. Pastor Zamora does not do that. He loves you guys. And it's my honor and privilege to be able to be here and, uh, and speak. Thank you so much for allowing me to come out here. Well, um, I, I entitled, entitled the message, What's Love Got to Do With It? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Or, or maybe I should phrase it this way. Wait, what is love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Because <laughs> I think culture in Christ, we're, they're, they're operating on different definitions when it comes to the idea of love. And I think you guys will agree with me when I'm done talking about this. Because I got saved at 21 years old, and I, I kind of thought love was based on how you felt about something. And then I read some verses, and one of them is in Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and I want you to see these verses. It says, I've loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, wherever you loved us, was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob. So God's saying, I love Jacob, and I hated Esau. And I got to thinking, God hates somebody? Like he hates them? I mean, from my definition growing up, I was like, how could that be? Like, is God some moral monster? It seems out of character for God to hate somebody. And then I read another verse that always bothered me as a Christian. And that was in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, where it says, if any man comes to me and 
hates not his father. I thought we're supposed to honor our father and our mother and love them, but here he says, if you don't hate your father and your mother and your wife and children and your brother and your sister, I can understand hating your brother and your sister. But all the other ones, I don't understand this. And yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So I'm like, God, what do you mean by this? It's so confusing. You want me to hate them? And it was like, I was asking this question to the Lord, and it's like the Holy Spirit just shared this truth with me that changed my life. Because God is not talking about a feeling towards my mother and my father and my sister and brother or my own life. It's talking about what I prioritize. In other words, in Malachi, God's saying, I prioritize Jacob's nation and deprioritize Esau's. And what he's saying to us is, if you want to be my disciple or follower, then you have to prioritize my will and purpose in your life above your father and your mother's opinion, above, above your, your sister and your brother and your wife and even your own kids and yeah, even your own desire and will. So you got to lay those aside and say, God, I'm prioritizing you and what you have to say. Lord, you're right about everything, and I'm wrong, and everybody else is wrong. Let, let, let God be true, and every man a liar. God, I'm prioritizing what you have to say above everything else. And that's what God means when it comes to the idea of love. When we talk about love, we first think about whether or not we are truly being loved. And the fact of the matter is, you are loved by your Creator, and your love for who you are, not for what you do. I'm thankful for that because uh, there's nothing in my past that's going to make God love me less. There's nothing I could do today of good works or tomorrow that's going to make God love me more. He loves me for who I am, not for what I do. So therefore, when I do do good, I do it because out of, out of a love for God, not for his love. And that's a big difference between religion and relationship. Religion teaches me that I have to earn his love and favor through my good works. And relationship says, no, I just love you for you and I'll die and take care of all of your sins. And I'm thankful for that. I think the point is, is we don't really truly understand what love is until we know God. And it's impossible to love my family the way God loves me unless I know God and know him personally. So the fact is you are loved, you're fully loved by God for who you are. And a lot of people today look at love from a very self-centered perspective. You know, if I feel in love, if I don't feel in love, and from that feeling, we often express ourselves. And when people talk about love, what they're really saying is, I like the way you make me feel. When people today say, I love you, what they're really saying oftentimes is, I like the way you make me feel. And as long as you make me feel that way, I love you. And the moment you stop making me feel this way, I've kind of fallen out of love. And there's really no commitment there, dedication. So navigating life by how you feel is like being a blind sea captain. There's a lot of ways, but you have no idea where you're going. And so Ephesians 5 reveals four tests that we must give ourselves to know if we're really thriving as a family, to know if, if we're a loving person, if we're prioritizing God, prioritizing our spouses or our kids. What's so interesting about Ephesians chapter 5 is is that the beginning of the book, in most of Paul's writings, you have the indicatives of Christ. This is who you are in Christ. You're born again. You're saved. You're redeemed. You're complete. You're whole. 
you're saved, you're adopted, you're his child, and you kind of develop this Christ-centered identity from what God has done for you, which then gives you the power to then be able to love people the same way that he loves you. And so at the end of Paul's writings, you have the imperatives. This is what you should do in response to who you are. This is what God has done for you. He's forgiven you. Therefore, the imperative is forgive others. And so we're kind of at the end of Ephesians. God is telling us what, how we, this is why your relationship with Jesus is vital. It's so important. This is so much more than just, I'm going to heaven when I die. This is like my identity rests in this, and the health of my relationships around me depend on my relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, if you're really to break down the Bible to like one thesis statement, I would say how to have a healthy relationship with your creator and the people around you. I mean, who wouldn't want that? <laughs> I told my uncle that, who never goes to church this week. I, I said that to him, and he goes, how do I get the Bible? <laughs> and my wife's like, download it on your phone. You could download the Bible on your phone. The fact of the matter is, is we cannot have healthy relationships without God. Like, God's the one who created it. God's the one who created love, so we might as well learn from the inventor of it, the one who is the essence of love. And you and I cannot love without God. We don't even know what it is. So let's talk about it. By the way, we're talking about family. The best gift you can give your kids is a loving, thriving, adventurous marriage where there's adventure and surprise and intrigue and they see you guys kind of flirting with each other and you're best friends and you're having a good, good time. I'm not saying that there's not difficulty, but that you both are able to overcome those difficulties by God's grace together. Your kids need to see you do that and to love each other through it. So let's talk about the four ways you can make your family a priority. Number one is submission to each other. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, if you would, verses 21 through 24. It says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands and everything. So submission is critical in every relationship. You can break up submission into two words. Sub, meaning place yourself under mission, and in this case, to God's purpose or God's will for the entire family, not just to the will of one person in your family. But we're willing to submit in order to fulfill God's purpose and plan for our lives. And submission does not equal inferiority. How many guys know Jesus submitted to the Father? Do you remember the story of Jesus praying in the garden? He was about to die on the cross to pay for all of our sins. He knew what cup he would have to drink of and bear. And he says, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass before me. Nevertheless, not, not what I want, but your will be done. You see Jesus even submitting under the Father in order to fulfill the greater purpose, which was to pay for the sins of, of all mankind to restore the broken relationship between us and the Father. What an awesome mission that was, an example to us. So submission to your husband is one of God's ways of protecting women. I'm not being misogynistic here. 
I hope you guys know that submission is a gift from God. Let me, let me explain why. Who's the most vulnerable in our population? Women and children. Would you guys agree with that? The most vulnerable in our population are women and children. In Grand Rapids, where I live, it is the hub for sex trafficking. And the number one clientele for sex traffic, trafficking is adult women. Secondly, it's children, boys and girls. Women and children are subject to violence. And submission to your husband actually leads to you being able to express your faith more freely and more publicly. You say, well, what do you mean by that? The whole idea of submission to your husband has to deal with freedom. Because when, you, when you're able to express yourself in the public square, you uh, might get threatened, but they would have to go through your husband to get to you because you have a man who has your back. You have a husband who's there to protect and to provide and to be present. So you as a woman can express your faith more publicly because your man's right there for you. It's a wonderful gift. So women are still in the most vulnerable to abuse, just like in, in Bible times. And to get to them, they'd have to go through their husbands first. And so that's a great, wonderful gift. Submission, by the way, let me just say this, is not a license to become a tyrant. <laughs> okay? This isn't like you becoming the type of politician that you hate. Rules for thee, but not for me. And don't become the type of tyrant you despise in your own home. So it's not about having your way, but having what is best for both of you. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, notice this. It says, with all lowliness and meekness, meekness is not weakness, it's power under control, with long-suffering, forbearing one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And that's the whole goal, is to have the bond of peace, to have unity. Submitting, like, your house plans for a building permit assures that your plans will end up fitting the bigger picture. And this plan assures the masculine and the feminine perspective on things. How many guys think that's important? Did you guys know that women are better than men at being women? Did you know that men are better than women at, at being men? And it's important that your children have both a feminine and masculine perspectives in the home. And that God's plan is modeled there. Where your husband's there to protect, to provide, to be present. And the wife is there to nurture and to care and to express her gifts and talents in the home. And in the public square, by the way. And that her man's there to protect her. <laughs> Who wouldn't want that? That's awesome. By the way, guys, we submit to the Father. We submit to God. It's there to protect and to provide as well. But let me just give you four quick myths about submission. First of all, one myth about submission is submission is a one-way street. Look, mutual submission is how relationships work. That's why the Bible says in the very first verse, in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. There is a mutual submission to each other that makes a relationship work. This isn't about one person telling another person how to live. This is about submitting to each other for the better or the further furtherance of the relationship. And number two myth is submission is all about giving in. You just got to give in to whatever they want. I remember my wife and I counsel a lot of, a lot of couples, and there was this one 
couple, the husband was kind of a tyrant, and he would use these verses to abuse his wife, which is one of the most grossest forms of abuse is spiritual abuse. And he would use this verse to get, get his way. So if he wanted the window open, which was one of their fights, and she wanted it closed, he had it open, he'd use this verse to abuse her. How <laughs> I many of you guys know that's not what this verse is about? This verse is about protecting and providing for your wife, about giving your life to her. So it's not about giving it. I remember uh, we had a cat, and I don't like cats. Um, who, is anybody else like me? You don't really like cats? You're like, yeah, I'm not really a big cat lover. Okay. Those are probably all the people who are allergic. Adam Zamora, yes, I know. <laughs> when, we're, when we're in Rancho Cucamonga, which is a really fun thing to say, Cucamonga, because I feel like a ninja, tur ninja turtle, you know, it's like, Calabunga, Cucamonga. And um, it's fun in Michigan, because they're like, what? Like, Cuca what? And, but that's where, that's where um, Pastor Zamora and Elizabeth were pastoring. And, and, uh, and I was working with the children, with the youth, and and we had a really good time down there, and Shonda was begging me for a cat. And I was like, no, no, we don't need a cat. You know, let's not get a cat. Well, Elizabeth walks in with a box of kittens. Do you remember this? Big box of kittens, and Shonda's like, can I get a kitty, please? And I'm like, no, like, like we can't do a cat. And then all the teenage girls were giving me a really hard time. It's like, you're so mean. Like, and so, so finally, I look in the box, and there's this big orange fluffy one. <laughs> I was like, he's kind of cute. <laughs> and so I look in there, I'm like, all right, if we're going to get a cat, I mean, let's get that one. And, uh, and so we had Rusty for 16 years. He just died. He just died last year. I was sad. I, I actually did cry. I mean, he had tumors coming out of his head, and like, it, was, it was really bad, wasn't it? And it was rough. Like, it was rough having a cat. I, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, and I think that's why my wife wanted four kids, because she read online that uh, you're not allowed to clean the cat box if you're pregnant. So guess who had to clean the cat box? And then, and then, and then at night, it was horrible because it was a long-haired tabby. It would get hairballs in the middle of the night. And I'm jumping out of bed, grab the cat just to get it to the tile, you know, so it like, doesn't puke on the floor or on the bed. Oh, I couldn't stand that cat. Uh, it was, I loved him and hated him all at the same time. I, I'll be honest with him. Uh, but, um, you know, you give in. You give in sometimes. But, but submission doesn't mean giving in all the time. Number three, I can't submit to someone I don't respect. I think that's why it says, when you, if you are going to submit, do it unto the Lord. If you can't do it for him, at least do it unto the Lord. <laughs> do, you, do you guys know your husband's not good at everything? I don't know if you knew that. But your husband's probably good at 80, 60 to 80 percent of what he does. There's nobody out there who's 100%. That's good. Yeah. My, wife's, my wife's always like, hey, can you fix this? I'm like, I'm horrible at fixing stuff. Like, I want to, and I try. I get the YouTube video out. And it's just, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I'm really thankful that she doesn't think less of me because I can't do certain things. But she does celebrate those strengths that I do have. And uh, your husband's probably good at 80% of what he does. And you got to see those and celebrate that and enjoy that. That's right. <laughs> I'm getting to the guys here in just a second, so we'll, we'll be there. Um, but number four, submission means becoming, becoming a doormat. You know, I'll just be stepped on. This is not a license to be abused or trampled on. So let me just share a quote with you. Submission doesn't mean losing power in the relationship. It means gaining power for the relationship. We're furthering our relationship through mutual submission to each other. 
In other words, we see a lot of people, a lot of couples fight, and a lot of times their fight revolves around a disagreement or an expectation that went unmet. And that's where disappointment develops. You have an expectation, sometimes a little too high, it goes unmet. You develop this low-grade bitterness, which then develops into anger and then grows to wrath and then grows to clamor. This is loud speaking. And then grows to this vindictive hatred towards the person you committed to for life. And this is why it's important to uproot the bitterness before it develops into malice. And we see this all the time as we're helping couples work through that. And one phrase I use with them a lot is because a lot of couples use ad hominem, where they attack the person instead of the problem. They're listening to respond, not listening to understand. And part of relationships is being the, the ability to take off your lens or your perspective on things, put on your spouses and see life from their perspective. It's like, oh, that's where you're coming from. And that's really important for a healthy relationship to thrive. So I'll use this phrase, my need to be right isn't as important as my need to be right with you. My need to be right is not as important as my need to be right with you. I'd rather be right with you than always be right. And even if you are right, you don't further the relationship. We often harm it. It's like, oh, okay, good, you're right all the time, great. But we're not doing well. And I think it's important to further the relationship and be right with your spouse and having to be right all the time. You can swallow your pride. It's not going to hurt you. It's not poisonous. In fact, it'll, it'll help your relationship. Number two, the Bible teaches us to sacrifice for each other as well in verse 25 and 26. Notice it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify, that means set apart, and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. So how many guys would agree Jesus sacrificed for, for us? And, you know, it's not like he told us, hey, I love you. We know he loves us because he made us a priority. He sacrificed to meet our greatest need in life. Notice what the Bible says in John 15, 12 through 13. He says, uh, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this. It's the greatest expression of love. That a man lay down his life for his what? This would include your spouse. This would include your family your kids. You would lay your life down for your kids. So you cannot have love without simply sacrificing something. And this sacrifice is not about working long hours to provide for your wife every materialistic thing that she wants. And this is not about cleaning the house and cooking a good meal. Um, it's not about this performance-based type of relationship or bonding. This is a lifestyle of giving the most precious thing that you have. You know what that is? Yourself giving yourself to someone else. I think the greatest gift we got from God was Him. I really think that's the essence of idolatry is determining I need to have this thing or this person in order to be happy, and we often make God an accomplice in our efforts to get that person or that thing. When God's like, if you have me, you have everything you need for life and happiness. <laughs> you don't need those in order to be happy. Verse 25, notice what it says. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So Jesus decided to lay his life down for the church. In other words, he gave up something he had that we did not have 
but desperately needed. And we could not live up to our full potential unless he sacrificed. Like, our lives are bettered because of what he's done for us. How many guys would agree with that? Let me ask you this. Are you giving up what you have that your spouse desperately needs? That only you can give? That could complete them? I think our culture idolizes happiness and comfort. It's like, to a lot of people in America, this is the peak of human experience. Happiness and comfort. Like, whatever makes you happy. But maybe the ultimate adventure in life is not happiness and comfort. Maybe the ultimate adventure in life is meaning. Having something worth living for. Something important. And maybe this is what's meant by being a man. Being masculine is the glad acceptance of sacrificial responsibility. In other words, like, like you and I cannot mature until somebody else clearly matters more than I do. <laughs> like I have somebody I'm responsible for. Maybe that why, that's why marriage is so important, why God designed it so important, because it helps me to go from immaturity to maturity because I'm now living for somebody else, not just me. And maybe why, that's why kids are so important, because now you have somebody that you're responsible for to raise up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Like, I gotta be an example to the believers, which are my kids, too. And that the ultimate adventure is having meaning. I can't think of anything that has more meaning than giving your life to somebody else. Your spouse and your kids. Like, how fun is that? You talk about happiness, forget about that. There's joy in that. I think of Jesus in Hebrews. It's really interesting when it talks about the cross. He says, who for the joy endured the cross and despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's like, man, what brought me more joy was sacrificing the glad acceptance of sacrificial responsibility for the sins of other people. Like his life had meaning, not because he was striving for happiness, but because he was living for other people. So, some things that we could do to express our love, especially to our wives, is to say things like, I believe in you. I love you. You're beautiful. It amazes me how many wives don't hear that from their husbands. Hey, we'll get through this together. I'm not going anywhere. We burn the ships. We're going to make this work. We never use the word divorce as a threat. Ever. I've been in homes where there's this low-grade tension in there because divorce is always used to threaten the relationship, and so nobody could really move, and everybody's walking on eggshells. I'm like, that's a horrible condition to live in. How about, like, we're going to make this work. I love you, and we're, and, and we're going to be together till the end. Like, I love you sacrificially, and I'll do whatever it takes to get there. Or how about this? Here, here's some ice cream. Maybe just give her some ice cream. I don't know. I'll change that diaper. <laughs> Maybe one of the greatest gifts you can give your wife is to change the diaper. Like Jesus, your, your job, husbands, and future husbands, is to love your wife for who she is, not for just what she does. I think your, your wife's greatest need is to be known and to know, but to still feel like she's still worth being pursued. I mean, you pursued her pretty hard to get her, and it requires that same pursuit after you've gotten her. 
There's still the date nights. It's really interesting. I read a, a study. So the average dating couple spends 15 hours of focused quality time together. Do you know how much the average married, married couple spends together in focused quality time? Five hours. And it's, it's weird because you're living together. I'm talking about quality focused time. And that diminished time could explain a lot why the marriages struggle today because they're not making time. We're so distracted. We have a lot of things going on, right? Quality time with your spouse. So, and thirdly, let me just share this with you because uh, I got eight minutes and 52 seconds left is sanctification or setting our spouses apart because of each other, because they're worth it. Look at verse 26 and 27. It says that he might sanctify or set apart and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church. So Jesus is using his relationship with the church as a picture, a representation, an example to us in our marriage. It says, glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You guys see that? Like, what am I doing in my spouse's life to, like Jesus does to us, the church, to make them glorious, to make them good, to make them better? It's giving to that person in a way that's going to help them grow. It's going to help them mature. It's going to help them thrive or just enjoy life as well. See, Christ sanctifies and cleanses us from our sin. In these verses, he goes, because of me, you're spotless. You're clean. Like, I want to know that my life made Shonda's life better. Because I, I already know she's made my life better. I'm like, I'd be like a quarter of the man I am today without that woman right there. And I'm so thankful for her. So God put you together with someone else because they're going to improve you, your life. And I guess the question is, well, how do I become that for somebody else? Like, how do I become the type of person that helps someone else become more like Christ? And there's one answer to that. It's not you. It's not you manufacturing the ability to better your spouse or your kids. And this is why your relationship with God is so important but it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what your soul is rooted in. That's really important. Because like, your soul's going to root into something, and if it's not in Christ, it'll root into things and people and ideas and ideologies. And from that, you'll bear fruit. And oftentimes, the fruit of the flesh, which is like lasciviousness and hatred and variance and violence and adulteries and fornications and whatever else. The Bible, and the Bible even says in things just like that. But if your soul's rooted in Christ, you start bearing fruit that you cannot manufacture yourself, that you can't conjure up or pretend to be. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, not the absence of your problems, but the presence of Christ in those problems. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, like, who, who wouldn't want to be around a person like that? And that's the type of fruit, the picture that God uses, that's born out of our life. And when you're rooted in Christ, over time, the longer you're, you have your faith in Christ, your trust in Him, you're rooted in Him, you start bearing that in your marriage. I don't know any wife or any husband who wouldn't want to enjoy that kind of fruit from you. Love, joy, and peace? Yes, please. Sign me up. That sounds amazing. 
That's what I want people to experience from my life, and I know I can't just make that up. I have to be rooted in Christ to have that. This really comes down to attachment, attachment to God, because your soul, if it doesn't attach to God, it's not rooted in God, it will attach to something. How many of you guys have cell phones? You guys have cell phones? What's the first thing people do when the plane lands? They turn their phones on, right? They take it off airplane mode, and your, your cell phone's designed to attach to a tower, which gives you access to everything, to all the information of the world. Your soul is designed the same way. If it's not attaching to your creator, it'll attach to things. Things. And if it attaches to things, you automatically end up giving things some sort of divine attribute and demanding of those things to give you what only God can give you. You start developing an unhealthy relationship with things in this world to the point that if you lost those things, you also end up losing yourself at the same time. And if your soul is not attaching to things, it could be attaching to human beings or people, and you start giving people, certain people, divine attributes as well, and demanding of them to give you what only God can give you, which is an impossible task for that person because they can never be God. And you just develop a codependency on them. You strain the relationship. People are hurt because you're sucking the life out of them. And if your attachment is to a person and you lose that person, you lose yourself at the same time. This is why your attachment to God, your faith in God, your walk with Jesus that your pastor faithfully preaches is so important. So what happens is when you are bonding to God, you're attaching to God, you develop healthier relationship with things so that when you maybe lose those things, you don't lose yourself at the same time. And when you're bonded to God, you're attached to God, your soul is rooted in Christ, and your identity rests in Him, then you have healthier relationships with people. You're actually giving life to them instead of sucking the life out of them. You're able to help them. They're able to, bear, to enjoy the fruit from your life. I'm not saying you don't get needy at times. I'm not trying to get idealistic here. I mean, I want to be realistic, too. I'm like, I have bad days. How many of you guys have bad days? Right? Like, we give ourselves grace in those moments. But man, being rooted in Christ is so important so that you have a healthy relationship with God's gifts, which are people, God's gifts, which are things and money, and they don't own us. We own them. Why? Because we have one owner, and his name's Jesus Christ. And lastly, I want to share this with you, is that in order to understand love and express love to make your spouse or your kids a priority, there has to be a sensitivity towards each other, too. Look at verse 28. It says, So ought men to love their wives as their what? Own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church. So the question is, are you sensitive to the needs in the life of your spouse as you are sensitive to your own aches and needs? Many of the ills in society can be traced back to a lack of sensitivity of the father or the husband in the home. In American culture, well, I guess every culture around the world, especially in America, two things are going to help fix the brokenness that you're seeing. The top two things, illiteracy and fatherless homes. We fix those two, we'd fix a lot of what's happening in America right now. 
guys, I, I, hope you, I hope you don't ever underestimate the power of your presence, protection, and provision in the home. It is so important. Every, every single one of the mass shooting, mass shooters in schools, every single one of them came from a fatherless home. 100% of them. Most of the ills in our society can be traced back to a home where there is no father, a father that wasn't present. This is really important for us. I mean, when I'm hungry, guess what I do? I eat. If I'm tired, I sleep. When my mind says it's time to have fun, I, I like to have fun. So this same kind of commitment you give to yourself should be given to your spouse, should be given to your kids. I want to give you eight ways you can say I love you to your wife. Now, ladies, there's only one way you can love your husband, if you know what I mean, and I think you do. I'm talking about food. What are you guys talking about? What are you? That's, I was talking about, like, sandwiches or something. That's <laughs> so, I mean, ladies, reverence your husband, respect your husband, look up to him, just be like, man, that's my man. Like, nothing makes a man feel good knowing that his wife loves him in that way. Um, look for something to reverence, physical reverence, if you know what I mean. And recreational companionship. Men love that. Like, I, I enjoy playing sports. I love fishing, all of that. But there's only one person I care who sees me catch that fish or make that shot, <laughs> and that's that woman right there, Shonda. And I don't need her to play basketball with me or football. I just like, I just like knowing she's there to see it. I don't know. I, I just, we really, us men really enjoy that. We enjoy that our wives are there when we, we succeed. And when we don't, we're like, you didn't see that, right? Uh, <laughs> but here's eight ways you can show love to your wife. Give your wife time away from home. Give your wife time away from home. And don't make her feel guilty about it. Give her time alone at home. Uh, support her decision in front of the kids. Give, give an unexpected gift. Give her a sincere praise or a verbal, I love you or you're beautiful. Withhold criticism. You know, I guarantee you, your wife is harder on herself than you could ever be. Celebrate her strengths. Put her first. That's really important, especially for your relationship to thrive. Your wife needs to hear that from you that you care about her. She's still worthy of being pursued. I like Christmas time. Do you guys like Christmas time? I thought I'd talk about Christmas in July in Phoenix and Buckeye, Arizona, because I was like, you guys are like, how many of you guys want it to cool down? Anybody like that? How many of you guys love this weather? You're just like, I love it. You guys are weird. Okay, that's, you guys must be from up north. That's probably what it is. Um, my wife likes certain things. There's some, some things I don't like that she likes, and one of them's ballets. I'm not really into ballets, you know. But she wanted to go to one, but I didn't know it was a ballet. She goes, I want to see the Nutcracker during Christmas. I'm like, okay, sweet. So I bought tickets. They're kind of expensive. Uh, and then uh, I took her to Cygnus 27, which is a really nice restaurant at the Amway Grand up at the top. We ate there, and then we, we walked over to the DeVos Performance Hall, and the orchestra was warming up, and the curtain was down. I was like this is going to be nice. Like, this will be fun. And so the whole thing started, and people started prancing around, just dancing and prancing. One guy came out with, like, a sword, and he had big old ham hocks on him. He was, like, in these white tights, and it was, it was hard to watch, I'll be honest. It was like, ugh, man, this is rough. 
And he was dancing, you know, his little feet, just doing his thing. And I was like, wow, okay, you know, and, and I'm, tr I'm, I'm having a hard time following. And about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes into the production, I look over at my wife, I'm like, so, are they going to talk? <laughs> and my wife looks at me, she goes, it's a ballet. I said, <laughs> so for an hour, people are prancing around. She goes, do you notice, the, do you remember this song? I'm like, yeah, that's from Home Alone when they're running through the airport. And she goes, no, this is from the Nutcracker. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Like, she's like gumdrops dancing around. Like, I don't, I don't understand this. And she's trying to explain it. The curtain falls. Says, Whoa, that, we're done. She goes, that was halftime. I said, what? <laughs> that was like an intermission. So like another hour of them prancing and dancing around. I couldn't believe it. My wife looked at me. She goes, now you know how I feel when, I wa when, you, when you watch your football. I said, what? And she goes, yeah, imagine us watching ballet on TV and you sent you bringing us nachos. I said, that's how it is? I didn't know which one was worse, watching men dance around in tights or men in football tackling each other in tights. Like, I don't know which one's, which one's worse. <laughs> now that I think about it, men tackling each other, wearing tights. This is interesting. I am an Arizona Cardinals fan. You guys Arizona Cardinals fan? That's, that's my team. Let's go. I couldn't believe it. I hate when the Packers come to town because... There's always more Packers. Oh, see, you know, don't ruin it for us. Like, <laughs> bunch of cheeseheads everywhere. <laughs> but um, we got done with that play, with that production, or that ballet. <laughs> and um, I got to thinking about that, that life is not about where, where you're at. Life is about who you're with. I didn't care that we're at a ballet. I would have never been there by myself ever, but I was only there because of her. I was with her. What matters most in life is who you're with, not where you're at. I think the greatest joys in life is that whatever you go through, you don't have to go through it alone. Jesus said to you, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm with you in the valleys. I'm with you on the mountaintops. Wherever you go, I'm with you. And that's the greatest adventure and thrill in life is to fulfill God's meaning and purpose with him. And that's what makes life incredible and enjoyable. When you look at life, the life of Jesus, you'll see all four of these attributes, submission to the will of the Father and our needs. He sacrificed, he gave his life for us. He sanctified us, he we're better because of him. He's made us perfect and clean without spot or wrinkle. And he's sensitive to our needs. So I'm so thankful for that. God is the great example of what a marriage should be. And you cannot understand all this unless you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Here's the, here's the fact. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood to pay for your sins that you couldn't pay for and met a need you couldn't meet yourself so that you can have your broken relationship with God restored through his son, Jesus Christ. I got saved when I was 21 years old in Prescott Valley, Arizona. Little tiny church. Somebody shared the gospel with me and I got saved. My wife got saved in Lancaster, California. I think Adam got saved at a rock concert, and not at the concert, but somebody witnessed to you at a rock concert in Detroit. But the question is, when did you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because when you do... That moment you do that, that's when your relationships here on earth begin to thrive because you know where the source of love comes from.